Brothers and sisters, I love diving into stories of amazing grace. It's an awesome way to learn. I mean, look, we read the Bible, we learn about God. We read the great saints and theologians, we learn about God. Sometimes you look at the biggest messes that God has, has turned into glory stories and salvific stories, and we could see his face looking at us, his love, his mercy that can't be trumped by any evil. Uh, amazing story tonight with, with a, a friend that a lot of you are familiar with, Joseph Pierce. You might be familiar with the 30-plus books he's written, uh, but maybe not familiar with his story of amazing grace that God changed him from a, a white supremacist into a lover of Jesus Christ and a lover of his fellow man. That's the story of grace we're diving into tonight, and I'm so excited to have you with us. Thanks for watching. So yeah, I, I throw up on the screen and tell people, text your question. Mail text question. Joseph, thanks for being with me, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. And, and you know, I, I love diving into things like books you're, you've written and talking about Lord of the Rings. By the way, if you didn't see that episode, you got to just Google it. It's on the YouTube page. It's unformed. Um, but when you when you get this intimate and you share your, your own spiritual journey and how God led you from brokenness to wholeness, uh, that takes a level of vulnerability that I just want to say uh, thank you. Well, yeah. my pleasure, if that's the right word. I'm not sure pleasure is the right word. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, the, the book, Race with the Devil, I, I, I took a long time to write it because I didn't, I didn't want to be too close to it, uh, to, to, to what I was recounting. But on, on the other hand, I didn't want to wait so long that I'd be too far from it. Yeah. So I, I think I, got, I wrote it about the right time where I, you know, I, 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 it was still close enough to hurt, yeah. uh, but I was detached enough and far enough from it and far enough, please God, in my spiritual journey to be able to, to, to sit back and, 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 and look at my former self in some, somewhat of a detached way. Because the, the two extremes are self-justification right. and self-loathing. Mm. Right? I was the worst thing that ever lived, right? And I wasn't. I was a human person who was uh, do, doing what I believed was go good, even though it wasn't. Yeah. And, I, you know, and, and I had the dignity of the human person, and God loved what was good in me. And through His mm. grace, I managed to come out of that dark, dark place I led myself to. Race with the Devil, my journey from racial hatred to rational love on jpierce, P-E-A-R-C-E dot C-O. Uh, was, it, was it painful to write? Yes, it wasn't the, by any, it probably, it's, it's weird actually, Chris, because it, on one level it was one of the easiest things I wrote because I didn't have to do any research because mm. it was all up here already. I'd, I'd, I'd experienced it myself. So it was easy to write from the point of view just getting it down, but the getting it down was painful. Mm. So, so it, it was both the easiest in terms of technique, but the hardest uh, and most difficult in terms of emotional grappling. It's like, um, your, it's like your journal I mean, in a real way. Have you ever go back and read it? I haven't gone back to read it, I don't think, no. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like wrestling with your former self, uh, but the former self, there's a continuum, right? I mean, uh, you don't mm. just, I didn't just cease to be. Uh, this is a journey. And I sometimes quote um, Malcolm Mugridge. Uh, the, 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 your older viewers might know who Malcolm Mugridge was, but he was one of the first talking heads on TV. And he was received in the church when he was 78 years old. And this cynical journalist said, okay, well, now you're too old to have fun. You found, you found Jesus, mm. basically. You know, Do you regret all the fun you had when you were younger? And amongst other things, he was, he was uh, repeatedly unfaithful to his wife mm. in a string of affairs. So he responded, I regret all my sins, especially insofar as they've hurt others. But I don't regret the journey because it's brought me to the foot of the cross. 
Mm. So you know, I sometimes think if I'd done what my father wanted, you know, when I was a, a child and become a bank manager, you know, and lived a good bourgeois life and never became a Catholic, you know, uh, I'd be a respectable member of a secular culture. Uh, or would I rather have gone to prison twice and, and made all the mistakes I made and be brought uh, broken hearted, uh, but healed to the foot of the cross? I would certainly choose the latter. So I don't regret the path, although I do regret things I did Man, on it. You know, That is just awesome. Everything can, can be turned around uh, for the good of those who love and serve the Lord, including your own past mistakes and sins. That's, well, that's what we were talking about in our other show, in The Silmarillion. When the evil one tries to make his own song, God makes a part of his symphony. He just expands the lines of the symphony. And, no, this is, this is part of it now. Yeah. Keep trying to get away. Yeah. I'll make this part of it. Yeah, and I, I do love it because it, I think mm. my story does show, uh, as other stories show, no one is beyond his reach. Mm. And he has many people maybe when you're watching or that they're in a bad place at the moment. Um, uh, no, no, no one's beyond his reach. And there are people that are in much worse places than they are that have been brought to the foot of the cross. Um, never lose hope. And they never lose hope. It, it's, as long as we have breath, you know, and for your kid that's gone astray, for your grandkid that's gone astray, never lose hope. Uh, we're going to dive into our conversation, but also be open to being interrupted with texts. 720-650-0100 with questions. 720-650-0100. Um, let's dive into the story then. You were, you were radicalized or became radical and a white supremacist uh, as a young man. Yeah. What, what, what's the road to radicalization from a sweet toddler, you know, to someone who's frankly dangerous and ends up in prison? Well, one of the toughest things about writing the, the story was to, to revisit my relationship with my father, because my father and I had a very good relationship. He was actually, for the most part, a very loving father and for the most part, a very good man. But he was a racist. So I learned racism at my father's knee. And because I love my father, um, you know, which is natural enough, you know, you take what your father teaches you as gospel. Mm. So I learned that at my father's knee. And by the time I was 14, I was writing, you know, I brought daubing swastikas on the wall of my school and the, on my school books. Um, and by the age of 15, I joined a white supremacist organization called the National Front. Um, by the age of um, 18, I was the youngest ever member of its governing body. And at the age of 20, I was sentenced to prison for the first time. I started editing a magazine at the age of 16. So, you know, I, I, when, once I got in, I was sucked in big time, became completely fanatical, wow. uh, and would happily have died for the cause, and I would have happily have killed for the cause. Wow. So your dad imparted this to you. You know, you have to be carefully taught, right? Um, was it through, like, little side comments? Was it through jokes? Was it through a racist, uh, you know, view that he shared with you, like, it, it, casually, or, or was he sitting you down and saying, you know, anyone who's not white, British, is, or whatever it is, 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 is evil, and did he expose you to the organizations that you joined? Like, how, how intense was his involvement in that? Yeah, so he, so he, he, he I think he actually sat me down and gave me a lecture, but all of the first things you said, that just the backdrop to, to our life was racist. Comments that were made, uh, discussions in the house, words that were used. Um, so that was just part of, 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 of my upbringing. So it was norm that was normal for me. Now, my father voted for this organization in 1974 when I was 13, uh, and that was my first introduction to it. But then I, I joined it and got involved, and, you know, and he joined it, and he actually came on one or two of the demonstrations, but he was never as fanatical as I was. Um, largely, I think he came along to one of them, which turned into a really bad riot, thinking he could protect me. 
Wow. Uh, and you know, this was bigger than any one person could protect anybody else. This is this is thousands of people trying to kill each other at the same time. Wow. Um, and he he realised this is a monster. And I think when I actually did when I was was received jumping forward a bit, when I was was received into the church, both my mother and father were, were, were relieved, purely as parents. So you wouldn't go to jail again? I wouldn't go to jail again. I wouldn't get myself killed because I was involved, as, as part from the white supremacist stuff, I was involved with the terrorist organizations in Northern Ireland. Wow. So I had two friends who were killed out there. So, you know, that, that they, they, I was living a dangerous lifestyle. Wow. And I think they thought, you know, that if he found Jesus, then this is going to get him out of that. And, and thanks be to God, it did, of course. So, this, so the organization really was, the existence of this organization enabled this spark of racism to become something that consumed your life. It yeah, gave I mean, shape and direction to it. Ironically, you know, it was it's how Satan, uh, how the devil, uh, can warp and distort good things. So I was a young idealist, right? Mm -hmm. And I had an ideal view of England. Uh, mm -hmm. And the ideal view of England meant that the, well, the, all Englishmen are obviously white. So if the people living here that aren't white, they're not English. Mm -hmm. um, so you have something which starts off as, a, as, a, as something that's idealistic, and then it becomes fanatical, and then it becomes hateful. Uh, and then it becomes destructive, and it becomes self-destructive and destructive of others. But it, it starts off, you know, because we all made an image of God, it starts off with a, a spark of something which was good, which then the devil distorts and perverts into something which is wicked. That's something a lot of people forget, and it's good for our own examination of where our lives are going. Because we justify things by looking at the goods that we're choosing. And, it's, you know, I think it was Aquinas that, that taught this really clearly, that you can only choose good things. It's choosing the wrong good thing or right. the lesser good thing. Uh, and making a god of that lesser good. Uh, so it was the good of, of a national pride, yes. profoundly misguided. Exactly. Uh, what other goods were you choosing? Was, it, was there, because uh, when it goes to the next level of violence, was it, was it a desire for power, control, safety, whatever, what were you perceiving that you were gonna bring about in England? See, I, national puri purity or what, you know, I'm, I'm putting parentheses around all these things. This yeah. is, for the record, nothing good here, right? Right. right. But the, there's, there's motives that are good that the evil one twists into something profoundly evil. Well, the other thing was, you know, this, this idealism was a perverse sense of chivalry. Mm. So, you know, I, I was willing, not just willing, I would consider it a great honor, you know, the, 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 the dolce et decoramus pro patrimori, how sweet and fitting it is to die for one's country. Wow. You know, I, I, was, I was willing to die for my country. And so, but of course, now I'm dying for a neo-Nazi perversion of what my country is. But I don't see it that way. So right. you know, so you start with things that are that are good. This idealistic desire to lay down my life for others, but then wow. it becomes perverted by this, you know, being motivated by hatred uh, in order to to achieve that. Wow, and this is something we got. I mean, patriotism is a beautiful thing, you know, in in the United States too, because the, the country becomes more and more divided. Right. And people who are devout Catholics tend to be very aware of how people are skewing left yep. and to turn a blind eye to when people are reacting against that by going too far to the right in a way that's not grounded in Jesus Christ. Yep. And they give a free pass to how evil that can get too. Yep. Yeah, and that's, that's what's scary for me with my past is that, you know, that I see people overreacting to nonsense on the so-called, I didn't even like you use the word left and right. I mean, that's, that's, that, that, right, that right. started during the French Revolution which was a secular fundamentalist turning mm. away from God. You know, basically, but you, so you, what you have is two types of secular visions that have much more in common with each other than they realize. Mm. So, you know, that the, the extreme right, I mean, the, the Nazis were national socialists, right? They, they, all of their philosophical roots were in 19th century German philosophy. 
The communists were Marxists and Hegelians. All of their roots were Enlightenment, 19th century German philosophy. Wow. They're both fun secular fundamentalists. They might hate each other, but they share a hatred of Christ and his church. So, you know, so to, to go to extreme left or extreme right, uh, is to is to turn your back on Christ and His Church. You kind of took the circle, right? Everyone going right, going left, and then like, hey, yeah. No, hey, here yeah, we are. Exactly. <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> wow. Uh, a lot of people would would label um, Christianity as as inherently divisive, uh, and sometimes lump it into this idea that it's part of this colonial power that encourages racism, uh, because they maybe would reduce the entirety of church history to this one aspect of it, right? Uh, your experience was that your atheistic worldview uh, lent itself to your race to your racism that you experienced. Well, I mean, let's look H at how. Let's look at the history. Let's look at the history here, right? What have been the most murderous uh, regimes in in, in in the history of the world? Yeah. The French Revolution, atheistic. Communist Revolution, atheistic. National Socialist Nazi Revolution, atheistic. Is atheism that kills people by the tens of millions. And let's keep things absolutely really fundamental here. What mm. at the heart of Christianity is, is caritas, is love. Mm. To love is to put yourself in the, 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 the paradoxical definition of love. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. To love is to put yourself last and put the other first. That is the cohesion in a loving society, in a civilized world. When you, when you in, in, invert that to it's about me, put myself first, mm. Right, and everybody else last. And when your pride is basically an enshrinement of selfishness, if you have a society based upon pride and selfishness, it's a society that rips itself apart. And that's what we're seeing now. The absence of Christ is always destructive. The absence of Christ is always destructive. Man, Jib is a prince of peace. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Wow. Praise the Lord for. I mean, again, all these things are taken up into the glory story, right? Sometimes. When we fall into evil and you see the full impact of that, it shows the necessity of grace all the more. Uh, sin darkens the intellect. Go back to, to, to Aquinas again, right? Uh, and people who are part of, the, of, of radical fringe organizations start to form goals that, are, that, that just at face value sound insane. But you actually think they can be accomplished. Could, could, did you actually think that you would bring about in England where there was only white people in England? Like, did you did you really think that would happen? Absolutely. Uh, we, we, we stood on a platform at election times of a compulsory repatriation of all non-whites to their lands of ethnic origin. In other words, not just immigrants, but, you know, second, third generation. If, you know, any of wow. you were just, you know, one quarter uh, non-white, and then you would be sent back to lands of ethnic origin, compulsory repatriation. So forcibly removing all non-whites from the country. That was, that was, our, that was our political platform. Wow. Uh, okay, someone texted in, how many years were you in prison? And I'd add to that, what was the, what was the crime that landed you in prison? Well, yeah, so the last first then. First should be last, last should be first. <laughs> uh, I was sentenced to prison both times for the same thing. Uh, Britain has a Race Relations Act where it is uh, illegal to publish material likely to incite racial hatred. Okay. So I edited a magazine called Bulldog, and it's for editing that magazine that I was charged with offenses under the Race Relations Act for publishing material deemed likely to incite racial hatred. I spent a, uh, four months of a six-month sentence first time, and then I spent six months of a 12-month sentence the second time. So I spent my 21st and my 25th birthdays in prison. Wow. Wow. So it was, um, it was for, it's for spreading these ideas that were, you know, it, this, is, this is something we see in society now where we take to an extreme uh, the concept of hate speech. Right. That disagreeing about anything 
Um, and, and I guess it's partly because the, the how the LGBT movement um, co-opted what people who experienced actual racial hatred experienced that this is now, if this becomes your identity, therefore right. saying anything against this right. is, is deemed a threat to a person, right? Um, obviously a balance to be had with that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's dangerous, and I feel I feel conflicted up to a point because the, there are no laws, uh, at least at the moment in this country, uh, for which I could have been convicted because there's more freedom of speech, if you want to call it that, over here. So yeah, people I, take it to another extreme in response to that and say, "Well, you should be allowed to say anything." Right, right? which obviously you shouldn't. None of us believe that uh, pornography should be publicly available to everybody. None of us believe that, believe that child pornography should be available at all. So you know, so so that clearly there's a line somewhere where right. we say you can't just say and publish what you like. The real question is where is that line? Uh, and it's certainly true in a democracy. You have to have freedom of speech. So you've got to be very careful about what you decide. You know, is hateful, uh, hateful. You know, if, it, if if you're not going to tolerate anybody who doesn't tolerate your own position, right? You're the same as the Nazis. The right, Nazis right. would tolerate you if you agreed with them. Right. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's talk about the uh, the the road to conversion. What led you? Because a lot of people, and, and I and I love how how you said no one's beyond hope. Because if, if anyone would say someone's beyond hope, they'd look at a white supremacist as one of the first examples I could think of. I think that person is so twisted by hatred, so blind. Well, just don't even bother. The gospel reached that kid who was blinded by by hatred for anyone who wasn't a, a, a white, you know, British national. How did God do that? How did he get you? Well, you know, you would never have got me to read a Christian book. I, you know, I was anti-Christian, uh, very anti-Catholic. I was raised to be anti-Catholic as well, so Catholics are about beyond the pale. But I was interested in politics and economics, and someone said I should read an essay by G.K. Chesterton on politics and economics. Wow. And this was in a book, uh, you know, a thick book, and yet one essay about two-thirds of the way through. And I said, oh, I bought this book. It cost me quite a bit of money. Uh, I thought, well, if he's worth reading, I'll start reading from page one. Were you in prison at the time? Uh, no, this was actually, no, I wasn't in prison at the time when I first read Chesterton. Okay. Um, that, uh, but the book's called The Well and the Shallows, and the well is the Catholic Church, has depth, profundity, life-giving water. The mm. shallows is everything else. So I'm reading it, and I'm not agreeing with you know, lots of it, uh, but I couldn't help liking Chesterton. I couldn't help liking enough of the things he said to want to carry on reading. And I, I loved his sense of humor and I loved his goodness. And then, and then I was in a, in a secondhand bookshop in London and I came across this book by an author called C.S. Lewis. And I'd, ne I'd heard of C.S. Lewis as someone who'd written a children's book called The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Yeah. And I had no idea that it was Christian. I had no idea he was Christian, but something, and I have to believe it was oh, div you know, the divine grace, prompted me to take the book from the shelf. I opened up at random. And this is when Lewis describes his first reading of Chesterton. And Lewis was an atheist during World War I who detested Christianity. And he says, but I couldn't help liking Chesterton. You'd have thought he was the most least conducive of writers for me. He was a hardened, cynical atheist. But I loved his sense of humor and I loved his goodness. And I read this saying, this Lewis is brilliant because he gets Chesterton without being a Christian, right? Yeah. So then I buy this book, which is Surprised by Joy, which is Lewis's own conversion story. And then I, 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 as I'm reading, I think, he's not going to become a Christian, is he? And then yeah, he becomes a Christian. <laughs> but then I couldn't help liking C.S. Lewis as well. So now I'm reading Chesterton. I'm reading Lewis. Through Chesterton, I discover Hilaire Belloc, so these Catholic writers. So uh, then what I described... They were praying for you, I'll bet you. I bet they were. And yeah. I bet other people were praying for me too. And I thank, thank, thank God for them. So I talk about the fact there's this arm wrestling going on in my heart and my head 
between these old ideas of hatred and bigotry and these new ideas of love and reason. Because the other thing about, see, I was always taught, you have to choose between faith and reason, right? You, 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 can't, you can't be both, right? Yeah, you, you, yeah. you can have the comforts of religion, but you have to be irrational. Or you can be rational and, they, and it just embrace the fact there is, there is no comfort of religion. Wow. And then Catholic Church, when I saw seeing the Catholic Church through Chesterton and then Thomas Aquinas and John Henry Newman would teach about the indissoluble marriage of faith and reason, fides et ratio, as being indissolubly married and seeing that it made sense that at philosophy, these people are philosophers, they're not just emotion driven. Um, I, I, it blew me away. And then I was on the journey. So by the time that, I, 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 that second prison sentence, um, you know, I was reading the right people and, and ha had a great desire for faith and I started to go to mass for the first time during that second prison sentence in prison. You literally found yourself in a new, in a new community uh, and it wasn't like a prison outreach. It was people, it was a heaven outreach. Yes. I mean, these are people who had passed already, who were alive in Christ, who, who probably were talking to the Lord on your behalf. Hey, can we reach out to this guy? We see some great potential. Yeah, and it, and it is, I, honestly. And then you just like them. I and mean, this is the beauty of saints. People just have, like, even if they want to hate Catholicism, it's like, but I like Mother Teresa. Yeah, I mean, that's I don't the way, want to like ultimately, her. the best, the best path, uh, uh, rational path to Christ is, is sanctity. And ultimately, of course, because faith and reason, because faith and reason are, are married, indissolubly wed, you know, sanity and sanctity are ultimately the same thing. So if you see someone who's actually living the life of a saint, right, they are leading you not just to love, they're leading you to truth also. And so that, you know, we, it's, it's, it's easier to say, very hard to do, but if we want to convert the world, we have to become saints. Mm. Is there a moment uh, as, you, as you enter this communion of saints, and we're reading them and realizing, I like these people better than my, my uh, neo-Nazi white supremacist friends. Yeah, who <laughs> I want to be around these people and not these people. Yeah, who are stabbing each other in the back, yeah. all these internationalists, because they're all brutally selfish and ambitious. So, you know, all this camaraderie, which you talk about in theory, ends up in practice being people hating each other's guts. I mean, the only people we hated more, hated more than the, the, the non-whites uh, and the Jews and the communists were each other. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, and then, you, and, then, and against that, you've got you've got G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, D D Thomas Aquinas, John Henry Newman, Sir Francis of Assisi, you know, Jesus Christ. Did you realize that? At one, did, you, did you have one moment where you you thought, I have to repent of this life. I have to repent of the racism. I have to. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. Was it a scary moment or an elating moment? Because because that that would require breaking away from everybody you had surrounded yourself with. The reputation you made for yourself is a tough strong fighter kid who had this cause. What was that moment like? Well, first of all, one of the reasons I took so long to take the step was because you can imagine both those prison sentences made front page news headlines in the UK. So in wow. the wider world, I was a pariah, you know, this neo-Nazi, hate-filled, bigoted kid. Mm. Uh, but within the movement, I was a hero, right? A wow. martyr who's gone to prison twice. So wow. where's it? Where's it much more? Where's it much more comfortable to be with people that think you're a great and a hero, or to take that step across the threshold to a world where everyone thinks you're you're a mad? So wow. so you know. But I did have to make that choice. That second prison sentence. I knew I uh, needed to get out of that whole world I'm living in. So when I got out of prison, I moved to a different part of England, where wow. the movement wasn't powerful. Uh, and started afresh and started receiving instruction in the church and was receiving the church when I was 28 years old. Wow. How'd your dad receive that, the news? Of your well, that my mum and dad were relieved because it's going to keep me out of oh, trouble. Yeah, right. But I'm really pleased you asked that question, really yeah. pleased, because when I give a, a talk about my conversion, I forget to mention that I feel guilty. 
So my father and I argued about religion, uh, and he was received into the church himself. Uh, Praise God. Amen. And you know, <laughs> the last 10 years of his life, he's a practicing Catholic. He was housebound with emphysema. The last wow. time I saw him alive about, um, you see the last sacraments of the church, last time I saw him alive, about three hours before he died, we prayed the rosary together. Uh, and when I was growing up, he, he threw my, my grandmother's rosary beads, my mother's mum was Irish, threw my grandmother's rosary beads out the window and said, we're not having those papist beads in this house. And he called Catholic bead rattlers. And the last time I saw my father alive, he was rattling his beads. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Give me a five, everybody. That's awesome. Oh, man. Okay, so how, how, how was faith the antidote here? How is faith the antidote to, to being a white supremacist, to racism? Uh, to me, it's obvious as a, as a devout Catholic. Um, but there's people watching who aren't into their faith, and they're thinking, so what's the connection? Yeah, well, the, the first thing, of course, is that you know, I was convinced that my path to conversion was entirely rational, mm -hmm. right? Chesterton, Lewis, Aquinas. And I realized later that the other thing that was happening was healing. But you, know, you, you don't realize you when you're sick, mm -hmm. with that sort of sickness, that you're sick. So you're only looking back that you realize it's healing. But the key thing is, ultimately, that if we will not love each other, and love does mean sacrificing ourselves. It doesn't mean having feelings. Again, so my book is called, subtitle, From Racial Hatred to Rational Love. So the two understandings of love are one's diabolical and the other is, is heavenly. The diabolical understanding is love is about a feeling. You know, I love you because you make me feel good. And if, you know, if I make you feel good at the same time, then that's great. As soon as we don't make each other feel good anymore, then we dump each other, or I dump you, and I find someone else going to make me feel good. It's narcissistic. It's selfish. It's putting myself first. A, 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 a Christian understanding of love is that I will lay down my life for you, and it has nothing to do with feeling. Because, you know, the feeling we have for our spouse, it's not the same as the feeling we have for our children, or our parents, mm -hmm. or our neighbors, or our enemies. Mm. Right? But it's, the feeling has nothing to do with it. We are called to lay down our lives for the beloved, even if the mm. beloved is our enemy. So that's a radically different understanding of love. And that is rational love. Rational love, because mm. it, it's freely choosing. It's a rational choice. Yeah. I don't, I'm not doing this because I feel like doing it. I mean, loving your enemy is probably not something you feel like doing, yeah. right? That's not, you know, because it's nothing to do with emotion. It's a rational choice that I am going to lay down my life for you as my Lord laid down his life for me. Wow. Uh, and that is that. That's what radically transforms society. Any other any other form of love, which is really about me, can just divide and end up being what we see out there now, with lots of mutual hatred, mutual distrust, um, people blaming each other for everything. What was the Lord healing you of? Was it just the healing of your wrong the wrong perceptions? Uh... Well, no, I, th I think the rational approach was was healing me of my wrong healing. If that's the right word, you know, it's it, disavowing myself of the wrong reason. Mm. But things such as racism is not a rational thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's something which is just in, like hatred. You know, if you have hatred for somebody, you know, irrespective if it's for a different race, it's another person, then that's not a rational uh, relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So it, you can't necessarily reason your way out of hatred. You have to be healed. Wow. And for that, you need to, you need to ask for help. So and it was a path. It was a path. It was, absolutely. It wasn't an instant. It was, because uh, even the way you describe it, there's this, I'm, I'm choosing to love uh, people that I had previously perceived as enemy. And then over time, the choice becomes ingrained in part of you, and they're no longer enemy, right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, there's two things I'd like to say about that, Chris, if I may. First of all, in my book, I talk about three different occasions where my enemies loved me when I was a neo-Nazi. Now, my mm. attitude was it's an eye for an eye. I expect my enemies to hate me. 
I expect you to try to hit me and I'm going to hit you back. That's the relationship we have. So on the three occasions where, where, where instead of hating me, one of, somebody perceived by me as being an enemy treated my enmity towards them, my antagonism towards them with a loving response. It's absolutely disarming. Uh, and, and they win. They win wow. the argument just by doing that, right? So that's wow. so that and I, I talk about these particular ex examples. Um, but then about my conversion, Gerard Manny Hopkins in his poem *The Wreck of the Deutschland* talks about a once at a crash Paul or a, I think a slow melting Augustine. Mm. In other words, there's two types of conversion. There's the all of a sudden knocked off your horse of Saint yeah. Paul, or there is a sort of Augustine of, of, of Hippo who takes half his life, you wow. know, to actually convert. So with me, I was more the latter. Really, the whole of the 1980s, the whole of my 20s, wow. was this arm wrestle in my heart and, and, and mind and soul between these old ideas that were rooted, deeply rooted, uh, and these new ideas that were uprooting them slowly. Wow, wow. Uh, I want to talk, go back to those extremes that we were talking about toward the beginning again, uh, because to the, to, toward the, again, I hate to use left and right, right? But I'm not sure how else to, how else to say this. In response to the reality of racism and racial division and the pain of all of it, we have this veering off in two directions. And, and one is, and you could find a, more, a growing amount of examples, it's really disturbing, of, of neo-Nazi groups in the United States where like, I, I would never, like, like, who are these people? You know, it's, it's crazy. And, then, and, they're, and they're open and you can, they have a Facebook page, like what is going on, right? Um, and on the other extreme, uh, you have a, a, a deconstructionism, really, uh, that would look for systemic racism everywhere and label things that aren't even necessarily systemic racist, racism as, uh, as systemic racism. You were a guy who was actually pushing for systemic racism, right? Those people deny that that can even happen. There's no such thing as systemic racism. Well, you tried to, you tried to build a world where it was a reality. Then people who see it everywhere, the... the the solution to both these, how to avoid both these extremes. I mean, what would you tell parents uh, and how to keep your kids from veering off into these different directions? Well, first of all, I would, I would say that an obsession with race is racism. Mm. So if, if, if your whole worldview is rooted in it's all about race, mm. then irrespective of how your, you could, your conclusion you draw from that, that's a race obsession. What's necessary is, again, the Christian answer, the dignity of the human person, that we have to treat all of our brothers and sisters, irrespective of what race they are, with the dignity of the human person as made in the image of God. And that was the approach to race relations in this country until these uh, deconstructionists came along with their systemic racism theories. And up to it, I'm absolutely convinced a lot of this is using the, uh, the, the, the black population as stormtroopers uh, for radical ideas. In other words, they they just they're just being used. Yeah, it's a using. Uh, they, well, they, it's a using of um and 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 white kids too. I mean, exactly. Like, it's a of using of racial pain. Yes. Which is a really gross thing to think of that. Right. Uh, to to push a deconstructionist ideology. So I should say, so what they're doing, they fa they're fanning the flames of discontent. They're fanning they're fanning the flames of racial hatred, to pursue pursue a radical relativist Marxist agenda. That's what they're doing. Uh, and the, the revolutionaries do that. Revolutionaries whip up hatred mm. in order to bring about revolution. Now, whether it's a Nazi revolutionary on, on one extreme or whether it's a Marxist revolutionary on the other extreme, they whip up hatred to deconstruct society, to, in, to destabilize society. So the anarchy mm. prevails. And, and the, uh, the theory is that out of the anarchy, you know, the movement rises to power. In other mm. words, we, we can't get elected 
We're never going to win a majority, but if we cause a race war, right, uh, then we rise as a phoenix from the ashes. That's that. That's the thing, and yeah. it works on both extremes, right? You completely destabilize society from Marxist perspective on grounds of race. You can then destroy all notions of civilization, all notions of truth, goodness beauty. Mm. Uh, so that's their agenda, but they're using the same technique as the Nazis. Whip up racial hatred yeah. to bring about chaos so that our ideas will, 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 will uh, emerge triumphant. And, and everything from the French Revolution to the Nazis uh, to the, what's, I mean, this would have sounded like conspiracy theory two years ago, but it's, it's factual now and you can easily find the information, to the current Marxist moment uh, in the United States and movement. They always appeal to actual injustice yep. to to validate what they're doing. It's, and, and they're all always saying, well, this is about equality, this is about liberty, this is about fraternity, it's French Revolution, right? Yep. Yep. And, um, to where if you speak out against it, they'll say, what, are you against equality right. and fraternity? And liberty? Right. like, no, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah. Everyone else is cowed into silence. Right. Um, they're the only people that represent those ideas now. The extreme you know, Nazis or the extreme Marxists, you know, be my brother or I'll crack your skull. Wow, wow. You know, that you, we will only tolerate you if the things which we consider to be tolerable are tolerated by you. And if you don't tolerate those, we will destroy you. Wow. So what does a parent do when you see your kid getting radicalized, whether it's to the Marxist side of things, uh, or and again, this is about staying in the, in the middle place of normalcy, which is it seems to be a shrinking island. It's nice to be on this island with you. I always like islands, <laughs> right? Uh, but th then there's the, the the other extreme, obviously, which would deny any pain of racism and just brush this aside and say there's you can't even have uh, a racism that is is baked into a system. And uh, and then oh, and then by the way, be my white brother or I'll crack your skull, right? Right. Um, what, what, what's a parent watch out for? Is it is it just the online consumption? How do you do you just go there when you see an extreme happening? Like, and what what could your dad have done to save you? What, do you just say to your kid, "Hey, this"? A lot of parents feel ill-equipped Ill to, to to call out what's wrong with it. What what do they do? Well, I think the the, the key thing first of all pull the plug out of the internet, right? <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm a techno minimalist, and certainly yeah. we we that, that, that we we should not encourage our children to spend all of their time online, that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, so yes, get them reading books. Yes, get them doing things other than being online. That, that obviously, allow them to be online, but it's gonna be rationed. Yeah. And, and you have to know what it is they're watching and, 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 and keying into. Um, but no, we have to live our faiths. We have to love our faith. Uh, we have to be disciples of Jesus Christ. So that means that we have to love as Christ loves and, and we have to be the Logos. We have to be the image of, of, of God as reason, as ratio. Mm. Um, so it, it, we should be able to, to, first of all, have a loving relationship with our children, even when they are getting poisonous ideas from the, from the zeitgeist, from the culture. Keep loving them. Keep loving them, uh, even when they're going off the rails, all right? as, as, the, as the father in the story of the prodigal son did, mm. right? Uh, they wander off. He just he's praying, loving. When they return, there's a feast, right? Mm. Uh, but also to have the power of reason, we have to be able to know what we what what we believe and be able to articulate it. Yeah. So we've got to be. I mean, shows like this, right? We, we've got to we've got to be on fire for the faith. We have to know what the faith is, so that we can defend it. We can't mm. defend it unless we unless we have the answers. So we have to be we have to be, make a point of making time in our lives to learn the answers. Mm. Can I ask you to land on this? If if someone's a victim of of racial hatred, 
uh, as a guy who was a perpetrator of racial hatred, what would you say to that person? Well, I, I would say, first of all, that we, 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 one, one evil does not justify another. In other words, if we hate because we've been hated, there are no winners. Mm. Um, we, we, and it's easier said than done. Now, when, when, when we've been victimized, when we've been hurt, in the various ways we've been hurt, I mean, racism is one way, but there's various ways we've been hurt, we can either fester and make that uh, the hatred that comes from the injustice that's been perpetrated to us the catalyst for our own hatred. Mm. which is self-destructive and destructive of others, or we have to seek healing. Um, and again, it's easier said than done, but it's impossible without God. Mm. So we have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we have to say, look, I've been hurt badly. And if, if people out there, you know, it could be racism, it could be physical abuse, it could be other types of abuse, um, that they're hurting, mm. right? But you, they, they need to help for healing, uh, and that can only come from Jesus. It's not going to come from anywhere else. So they have to have a relationship with the Lord, mm. Uh, and then that relationship with the Lord will allow them to be healed. Uh, and then ultimately, and, and people that, that are full of hurt, it's very easy, it's hard to understand, to forgive. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, that doesn't come easy. No, it's impossible without the Lord. Exactly. But it's the only, it's the only path. Retribution is not the path to, to healing. Uh, radical forgiveness is the path to healing. And not, that's not to say that retribution is never called for. Uh, but the guiding light of a Christian is is the cross, Amen. whether uh, and it's the it's the path out of the the mess that we're in as a society. Yeah. Hey, brother, thank you so much for sharing. My pleasure. Thanks for your vulnerability. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to share that story, and I'm just so grateful, man. Thank you. God bless you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, get Joseph's book, Race with the Devil: My Journey from Racial Hatred to Rational Love, on J Pierce P E A R C E dot C O not dot com. J Pierce .co. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the answer. He's the golden bullet or the silver bullet. I don't know what, what he like. Literally, you can look for the solutions all over the place. The, the ultimate solutions are not political. They're spiritual because the ultimate problem is not political. It's spiritual. Let's keep begging Jesus for 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 healing, for reunification in our society. Um, and if you struggle, if you struggle with that with that sin of racism yourself, uh, the world would call you a monster. There's no there's no monster. I mean, you're you're the Lord's calling you to something else. Ask Him to set you free from that sin. Ask Him to save you, uh, because you can't enter heaven not liking half the people there because they're different color than you. <laughs> It just, it just doesn't work. So you want a piece of heaven? Ask the Lord to set you free. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free. Thank you for showing us the path to life and light and joy. I love you guys. Thanks for being with us. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.